Morning, morning. Good morning, everybody. Kia ora whanau. Welcome to the street. And if you have a Bible with you, could you find it in either paper form, digital form? We're in Philippians chapter 2. We're in the last verses of Philippians chapter 2. We are in the middle of our series we've called The Joy Revolution. And it's fascinating when we dig into this and we begin to discover that joy is found when you are surrendered to Christ. That joy is found when you live a life according to the way that he has established for us to live. And it's a new mindset. It's a different way to live. It's a powerful way to live. It's a joy-filled way to live. I wonder if you've ever found yourself being disappointed by someone. You know, where did that come from? Well, I wonder if you have. I wonder if you've carried along in life and, and you've got expectations and things are going well and all of a sudden somebody does something and it feels like it comes out of left field. You go, where did that come from? And you have that deep sense of disappointment. It's not what you expected and what you're told, or what you were led to believe and it just didn't work out the way you thought. Yeah, we're not going to go there this morning. We're going to talk about the exact opposite. We're going to talk about people who are a joy in your life. And that comes through intentionality, as we're going to discover. See, we're talking about um, Paul, and he's in house arrest in Rome. We've, uh, we've heard the story around this for the rest of the series. We've, we've learned that he's there, and he's, he's probably writing. He's chained to a Roman guard. He's got a couple of friends with him. In fact, we are introduced to these two friends in this passage. We're reading Timothy, who'd traveled a lot with Paul, and Epaphroditus, who was sent by the church back in Philippi to give Paul money so that he could survive while he was in house arrest. And so uh, here were two people that Paul was with, and they were a joy to him. And Paul, in his letter back to the Philippian church, he talks about these two men in this little passage. It, it almost takes a, a little time out, and he says, let me talk to you about Timothy, and let me talk to you about Epaphroditus. And what we can tell from the text is that Epaphroditus, while he was with Paul, fell ill, and he nearly died. And Paul was so concerned about him that he wanted to make sure he could get back to Philippi because he knew that the people at Philippi would also be worried about Epaphroditus. But he also wanted the people at Philippi to know what an incredible job Epaphroditus had done. He was a source of joy for Paul and an encouragement to him. Paul also wanted to send Timothy back to Philippi because Paul wanted to work out what was going on in Philippi. And he wanted to see how the church was getting on, and he wanted, if possible, to get to Philippi himself. And so he gives them a heads up in this letter that, hey, look, I'm, I'm thinking of getting there as well. You know, Paul summarizes these two men as men like no other. And they both exhibit three incredible life qualities that Paul wants to show the Philippian church, here is how you live. He talks about them having a proven life, and those three things are really quite simple when we boil it all down. Firstly, they'll live for Jesus. They're people, Timothy and Epaphroditus, they have this concern to know Christ, to obey him, and to enhance his reputation in everything they do. The second thing that Paul talks about with these guys is that they live for others. They have a concern for their well-being, both physical and spiritual. And they'll do what it takes to help the other person to be there for them. You know, you get the feeling 
that with both Timothy and Epaphroditus, they're not the sort of people you go up to and say, this is going to be awkward, can I ask you to do something? Right? They're people who would welcome a request. They're those people who just have that generosity of spirit, that generosity of heart. And they're people who live for the gospel. And they have a concern to ensure that the gospel is prospering, that it's doing everything that it, that it should be doing, and that they're doing everything they can to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So that's these two people, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And so with that in mind, let's read this through. Philippians chapter 2, starting verse 19. And Paul starts it this way, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about him. Actually, just stop there for a second. Little aside, that statement that Paul makes, I hope in the Lord Jesus, is a really interesting one. Now, I occasionally get emails from people who are saying, uh, yeah, I'd like to DV, uh, come and see you next week. You know, what does that mean? Well, it means Lord willing. And I have some people who will say, you know, if it's the Lord's will or they'll be talking along. And you kind of think, man, that sounds a really weird sort of spiritual thing to say. Yeah, I'm hoping, Lord willing, that tomorrow night I can. Is that, and then we, then we have some people who, as they're praying, and you might be praying for someone who's sick. You might be praying for, for a new job. You might, there's all sorts of things you can be praying. And we sometimes hear people say, and Lord, I'm just asking that you would heal. And, and if it's your will, that you would heal. You know, that statement is a, is a really interesting one because some people, when they say that, they, they're going, oh, that's just a cop-out. You're both saying if God does or God doesn't, well, it's his, it's his will, and so it's, you know, you're, you're sort of messing with God's sovereignty. Yeah, there's something incredibly powerful about this. If it's the Lord's will. You know, if we pair that back from the, the challenge of maybe a situation we're facing, let me put it to you this way. Number one, do we believe God is on the throne? Number two, do we believe that God's ways are always perfect? Number three, do we believe that if God is on the throne and that his ways are always perfect, that he alone would have the best plan and purpose for our life? Now, if we believe those things, Lord willing is a powerful statement. Lord willing is an incredibly powerful statement. And I, I go one step further as I was thinking this through, and God challenged me on it. And, and not only is, is it in the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord willing, I'm then thinking to myself, if I believe that God is on the throne, and if I believe his ways are perfect, and if I believe that he alone has the best plan and purpose for my life, then what's stopping me from trusting and obeying him in this next moment? Because I find that sometimes my obedience doesn't actually reflect that he alone is on the throne, that he alone is all-powerful, that his plans and purposes are perfect. And not only this next moment, but what's stopping me from trusting and obeying him and living for him in every moment of my life? Interesting aside, nothing to do with the sermon, just wanted to share that. Okay, let's keep going. Um, verse 20, Paul says, I have no one else like him, this is Timothy, who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has, has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. 
and I am confident in the Lord, there he is again. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Well, history says he didn't end up going, but his point there, I'm surrendered. In the Lord, I'd love to go out, but I'm, I'm surrendered because whatever, I know his plans are actually more better than mine. I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. Here's the story that Paul tells about Epaphroditus. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Here is heart of love for other people. Indeed, he was well, ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Then welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. What an incredible message to send back to the church. I imagine being Epaphroditus and coming back, and if I was him taking this, I'd want to twink that bit out. You know, the good Kiwi mindset, oh, that's a bit embarrassing, you're talking about me. But there he was going, you know what? He is serving the Lord. We've just celebrated Matt and Nikki Parlane, right? Serving the Lord, doing incredible things, praying for them, recognizing what it is that they are doing. So here's my question this morning. Timothy was a man like no other. Epaphroditus was a man like no other. I want to just focus on Timothy, and I want to ask this question, because it would seem that Paul couldn't find anybody in the Roman church to go back to Philippi to take his message there, except Timothy. Which is interesting when you think about it. The Roman church, it was quite a large church from what we understand. And I wonder if Paul got up, well, he couldn't get up one Sunday because he was in house arrest, but I wonder if he sent a message to them saying, is there someone who would like to just have a holiday in Philippi for a couple of weeks, travel there, take this letter, I want to encourage the church. And he got dead silence. Yeah, brilliant. You think, man, yeah, the apostle Paul, like he wants one person to help. Oh, sorry, too busy. I can't go. And Timothy says, I'll go. Well, Timothy was like sold with Paul. There was no one else like him. Their life principles aligned. There was this kindredness of spirit. There was this oneness of purpose. In fact, the last letter Paul wrote before he was killed was to Timothy, and he knew he was about to be killed for his faith, and, and he wanted to see Timothy, a trusted friend, a fellow worker, and a, a soulmate, and it's a strong indicator of oneness, isn't it? You know, think about if you were in that situation, if you knew that you were in your final weeks of life and you knew that the, the doorway from life to eternal life was not going to be pleasant, who would you want to see? And for Paul, it was Timothy. That was the sort of person Timothy was in Paul's life. And you can imagine Paul there in, in house arrest, you can imagine him chained up, you imagine the feelings, the thoughts that he would have, and, and then Timothy walks in the door, and, and it was like a, that was what put a smile on his face, that was what brought him joy, and that was the relationship that these two men had. Well, my question in this, which I want to park on today, is how did Timothy get to be that guy? How did he get there? How did he get to be someone who was a source of joy for Paul? And I, yeah, I've researched deeply and found a photo of Paul and Timothy, right? So, yeah, Sarah found the first one. Well, I've gone back even deeper in the archives, and there we go. So, 
Uh, there's Paul and probably Barnabas or Silas, and it actually doesn't really matter who it is, it's just a picture, you get the idea. And there's Timothy, the young boy, the teenager, right? And let's think about the age. We're, we're praying for Massive Camp, Matt, right? We're praying for a bunch of Timothys, male and female Timothys, that they would encounter God powerfully at that camp. And, you know, we often, when we read these people, I don't know about you, I have Timothy a lot older in my mind. He's young. Right? When he starts out, he's young. How did he get to this point? Well, let's go back from where he is right here with Paul. Let's go back 15 or 16 years to Acts chapter 14, where Timothy was most likely saved uh, when Paul first went to Lystra in Derby. And from there, Timothy got connected into the church fellowship. And he grew as a follower of Jesus Christ. And what that means is this, his character would have been shaped. He would have learned what it is to pray and to worship. He would have learned to serve with the gifts that God had given him. He would have learned to be generous. He would have learned to share his faith with others in this world. And he would have learned to be transformed in his mindset and his worldview. He would have grown as a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, if he was around today, we would have said he really has gone after the seven markers of being a disciple, right? That, that's really what it is. He, he's given himself to growing as a follower of Jesus. Well, three or four years after he got saved, Paul circled back around on his next missionary journey back to Lystra where Timothy was. And here is what the, the church at Lystra said about him. It's found in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 to 3. It says, Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was, was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was Greek. Can you just hear the tension in that sentence? Right, I must say, Timothy, I'm sure he just like had this you know, easy road. No, I, I, you, you can imagine one of faith and one not of faith with his parents. One sold out for Jesus, one not tension. How did that work? Who did he follow? How did he, how did he navigate this, this you know, dualism going on in his home? The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Well, there's the answer. He pursued Christ. God had grabbed his heart. And he grew as a disciple. He grew as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. Paul first met him four years ago. And now he met him here. And I want to suggest to you that, that before Paul took Timothy, God allowed time to reveal Timothy's character. You know, one of the things that we do today is that we want to do things like yesterday. Right? And, we, and I, I hear this all the time. I hear people say, man, I really sense God wants me too. And it's like, so I've, I've booked my flights and I'm off and I'm away. And I, can I just tell you that that has happened and that does happen and it freaks me out? Because as a church leader, as someone who, who is going to entrust people onto the, either the mission field or work, we need time to test character. And you know that in friendships. You know that with people that you work with. You need time to prove and to reveal character. You know, preparation is everything. And when following Jesus, time allows for the results of preparation to be shown. It's why, from an eldership perspective and a leadership and a staffing perspective, we're going to say, we need to give time to this. In 1 Timothy verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 6 and 7, Paul puts it this way, a church leader must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. 
Also, people outside the church must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. You know, the stakes are high. And time is needed to allow character to be proven. It's interesting that um, Henry Cloud, I think it is, um, defines character this way. He says, character is the ability to meet the demands of reality. Now, I, I like that definition. You know, character is the ability to meet the demands of reality. I, I like it. I was thinking about it. You could actually say it this way. Christ-like character is the ability to meet the demands of reality in a Christ-like manner. And I say, well, what does that mean? Well, let, let's have a reality check. What's your character like when you're under pressure? Right? What goes on in you? Do you turn into a different person when you're under pressure? Maybe it's financial pressure. Maybe it's relational pressure. Maybe it's just, just the, the pressure of life. Is the Nick field then different? Is the character of Nick different than what it is when things are going well? Well, my character would actually be exposed in that moment because my character is the ability to meet the demands of reality. If the demand of that reality is that I continue to remain calm and peaceful and joyful in spite of pressure, and that's not happening, then it exposes a character flaw. It exposes a challenge. If what, say, temptation... If my character, I say, well, I'm, I'm this person, I have a character which is filled with integrity and, and uprightness, and temptation wanders across my life, well, the reality says, well, my character is going to say, you know what, if your character is true, the demands of temptation means that you're not going to fall. But actually, if my character is not formed, it's going to be proven that I've still got some work to do on my character. Character is the ability to meet the demands of reality. Paul gave Timothy time. I wonder if Paul, when Timothy first got saved, he was, he was one of those guys who looked and thought, man, you're, one day you're going to make a great leader. You see it in people, don't you? You see that's the quality and it stands out. And yet I love the fact that he said, oh, I'm going to come back in four years' time. I'm going to give you space. Yeah, if some of us are sitting in here and, and we may see people like that or we may feel like we're someone sitting in a time of preparation, a place of, well, when about me? Right? Those times are good times. Those times are times where you continue to grow and you continue to grow deeper. But the second thing was this. Not only did Paul give Timothy time, he gave time to show Timothy how to live. So we're talking about disciple making. We allow time to develop character and we give time to show people how to live. I love in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul puts it this way, he says, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Paul showed Timothy how to do life. He modeled it. And so he can remind Timothy and say, Timothy, as you think about the way I live, you think about the way I teach. You can see that. You think about the way I live, you think about the way I serve, you, you actually think about the way I suffer. And you get the feeling that this wasn't done in the classroom. You get the feeling with Paul and Timothy that Paul didn't say to Timothy, right, well, if you turn up at nine o'clock on Monday morning and I will lecture you for the next three years and I will give you all of the theory on how to live as a disciple, I will give you the theory of teaching and the theory of living and the theory of serving and the theory of suffering. No, it was... I'm going to do this, and you're going to watch. 
You're going to see what it's like to live that kind of way. He modeled the Jesus way. I wonder, parents, we're discipling our kids. We're doing it exactly the same way. We're showing them how to live. We're showing our kids how to have a relationship with Jesus. We're showing our, our kids how to have a marriage. We're showing our kids how to go through trials and struggles. We're showing our kids how to do life. We're discipling our kids. Have you realized that? We're, this is what we're doing. We're modeling it. I, I imagine not many of us parents have sat down. I'm Abby sitting there so I can test this. I'm, I'm assuming that we never sat you down and gave you a lecture on how to... We did? No. <laughs> and it doesn't stop. I'm currently being discipled by my dad and my father-in-law on how to love my wife. I'm watching my dad and my father-in-law love my mum and my mother-in-law, both who have dementia and all of the challenges that go with that. And I'm watching how both of them have aligned their lives around caring and loving their wives. They're discipling me at the moment. Sarah's discipling me at the moment. She's discipling me in prayer. I'm watching how you're growing deeper and deeper in prayer at the moment. It's inspiring me. It's discipling me. Yeah, we, we never stop being discipled. We never stop discipling. Do you realize you are discipling people? And you might say, well, no, I'm not. Well, you are because you're modeling. And so if you're saying, well, I'm just kind of taking a holiday from God at the moment, well, there are people around you who are, who are actually learning what it is to take a holiday from God. Yeah, you, you, if you, you say, well, I, just, I don't want to do this whole Christian thing. I just want to be like, you know, angry, selfish me for a while. Well, you're discipling people on how to be angry and selfish. Right? It, it's, it's true. See, the, the, the challenge in this is that you can't escape it. This is who you are. This is what you're doing. And so we're discipling people, and, and we're discipling people. Uh, firstly, we're giving them time to prove their character, and secondly, that we're giving time to show people how to live. Thirdly, Paul spent time equipping Timothy to serve Jesus. Paul equipped him with, to do the work. If you went back to Acts chapter 17, you'll find that Timothy did go with Paul, and he spent 18 months with him in Corinth. And while he was there, he wrote letters to Rome and Corinth and Philippi and Colossae and Philemon. He, yeah, Paul, Timothy was there when Paul wrote a lot of the letters. Right? So he, he got to learn how to do that. He turns up in Rome with Paul. And I bet that, that Paul got Timothy to teach alongside him. I bet he got him to service lead and to lead a life group and to coach and to run the big teaching kids ministry. And I bet he got him to do first impressions ministry and all that sort of stuff. You saw a Timothy moment here this morning. Anna, this was your first time. Right? This is the first time leading a service. Didn't you do a great job, by the way? And see, see, this is what's going on. And this is how church does church because you're always doing yourself out of a job. Because you always, it's like, there, there is someone else alongside me who can do this. I want to let you in a little secret. Right? The life group leaders are into that wall next door. Right? They're, they're sitting in there, they're being coached, they're being trained. You know, one of the things that, that they need to understand that they're getting there is that they need to do themselves out of their job as a life group leader. Because they need to be raising you up 
to be a life group leader. And if, if you're in a life group, and you're, you're there and, and you have that sense of leadership gifting, you should go to your life group leader and say, can you equip me to be a life group leader? I'll tell you why. Two reasons. One, because if that's the calling in your life, do it. And secondly, we need more life groups. Right? Because if we're going to get anywhere close to doing, to fulfilling the vision God's got for us, yeah, every single one of us in this room could be a life group leader and we wouldn't have enough. Right? That's what we want to get to. And that's going to take every single one of us doing that. Yeah, in, in equipping Timothy, Paul delegated to Timothy. And Timothy stepped up to lead the church in Ephesus and to establish leadership and to teach them to live. And Paul also commissioned Timothy for the work. And this is really important. In 1 Timothy 4 verse 14, Paul said to Timothy, Don't neglect the gift which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders lay their hands on you. Yeah, I think there's something missing when we choose not to receive prayer. I think there's something missing when we choose not to allow others to pray for us. And I think when it comes to, to ministry and when it comes to life, there is something unbelievably powerful about us as followers of Jesus getting around others who are followers of Jesus, laying hands on them and saying, be commissioned to do the work God's called you to do. And yeah, that's not necessarily about being a, a service leader or a life group leader. That's about being a policy analyst. That's about being a doctor. That's about being a policeman. That's about being a teacher. That's about being a business leader. That's about those things because you, those things are not separate from your Christian life. They're how you express your following Jesus. You know, it strikes me that, that we as, as followers of Jesus can call out the gifting and the power in people's lives. You know, I, I know this from personal experience, and some of you will know the same thing. You see, when people get around you and they lay hands on you, they pray for you, God shows up in a, in a way which is significant and powerful. And here's what I've noticed from time to time. Is if I'm saying, I, I, I'm facing a week which is a challenging week, can you pray for me? And people will pray, and there might be a verse that's given them which is exactly what my soul needs in that moment. It might be that there is a word or a picture that somebody gives me, and that just relates exactly to what I'm going through. It might be in that moment that as someone prays, it's like God says, I just want to reawaken a gift that you've got that maybe you've forgotten about. It might be that in Timothy's, Timothy's case here, it was that you could imagine Paul's watching Timothy and as he's leading and teaching, he's getting pulled under just by the weight of what's going on. And Paul says to him, Timothy, reawaken what's already been given to you. And I wonder if some of us so weighed down by what we're doing, we need to have the gifting that God's given us, the calling that God's given us, reawakened. Do you know how that happens? You choose to allow others to pray for you. Because prayer is powerful. And because it's us as a community coming together around this. Interesting in Acts 13, verse 2 says this about the church. They were worshipping the Lord and fasting, and the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they'd fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And 
yeah, I, I, just, I just have this question that we could actually commission each other to the work that we're called to a lot more than what we do. And I, I, I guess just sharing, I, I have this, this dream, this idea that our prayer team could be really overworked on Sundays. Yeah, and I, and I watch them, and I know you guys are here and you serve faithfully, and we, we pray for the ones or twos. I, I guess I'm sort of wondering why on earth we don't all every Sunday say, can you pray for me as I walk into this week? Can you lay hands on me? Can you awaken that gifting that I've got? And maybe God would bless you so much that you'd act, if someone prayed for you, it was almost like they would get a prophetic word for you and they would, they would sense something in you that you've never seen before and that would just give you the strength and the courage and the resilience to go and to be who God's called you to be. You know, this, is, this is us as the church. This is us encouraging each other. This is us building each other up. This is us doing what we're supposed to be doing. Instead of sort of coming in like marbles, we sort of bounce off each other and go out and carry on in our week. I wonder, I wonder if there's things we're missing as a body of believers. So and there's the challenge. I'm going to ask you to come and pray in a minute. I expect you all to stand up and come up the front. How's that sound? Some of you know you need to. The last thing that um, Paul did was he invested time encouraging Timothy in his calling. And when you think about this, here's this, yeah, here's a nice sort of four step. Allow time to develop character, give time to show how to live, spend time equipping to serve, and invest time encouraging to keep going. Paul in 2 Timothy 1 6 says, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is given, which is in you through the laying out of my hands. And then in 1 Timothy 6 11 and 12, he says, But you, man of God, flee from all this. And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made good your confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul never stopped encouraging Timothy. He never stopped keeping his eye on him. It astounds me as I read through Paul's life and I see this relentless pursuit of following those who he was equipping and those who he was discipling. And he never got bored of wanting to work out what was going on in their lives. He never lost interest in them. The people that he was discipling were never out of, out of sight, out of mind. Anybody else suffer from that thing? I, I do. You know, it seems like Paul just had this relentless pursuit of people. And he was always looking for that way to encourage. He was always looking for that way to inspire. He was always looking for, how do I put more fuel on the fire of that person's calling? It's funny, I, um, I'm discipled at the moment too by, um, by my son. And you know, Tom, you know, with the, the music that he and Jamie are writing, it's inspiring me. It's inspiring me in worship and and I find that it's natural and it's easy to encourage him and to want to do that. And it challenges me because I then say, well, how much further can I go? Where, where else can I go? Who else can I, can I encourage? And I then start to dream, imagine if every single one of us were the disciples, which we are. 
And we chose to disciple people and we chose to encourage people and we made it a mission to put fuel on somebody else's life. And you know that the challenges we go through this, this, I was sharing this with the team beforehand, was when we talk about this and we talk about the Pauls and the Timothys, the natural default for many of us is to say, oh man, I need a Paul like that in my life. I need someone to encourage me. I need someone to equip me. I want, I want someone who'd be there for me. I want to tell you, kill that thought and flip it and say, I'm now choosing to be a Paul. I'm going to choose to be the encourager. I'm going to choose to be the equipper. I'm going to choose to be the one who's going to be there. I'm going to model. I am modeling. I don't have a choice on that one. So I'm going to be careful about what I model. And as you do that, and you then give yourself, here's what you're going to discover. You will find far more joy in giving yourself to discipling somebody else than you will get if you say, I want someone to disciple me. I know that to be true. And the crazy thing about it is, is in the economy of God, when you give yourself to someone else, don't worry about who's given to you. God's got that under control. Because remember, God is on the throne. Remember, his ways are perfect. Remember, in this moment where you're called to serve and to give, which was the whole point of the book of Philippians in chapter 2, where it talks about Jesus served and he gave everything. That for the joy that was before him, he did that and he said, God, you've got the rest. I can trust you. So here's the challenge. Who's your Timothy? Have a think right now. And just in your mind, go through, who are the Timothys that you have in your life right now? Right, for those of you who have family, well, there's, there's the top of your list. Right, who are the others? Who are the people who are in your mind who are Timothys that, that you are modeling what it means to be a Jesus follower for? Who are those people in your life that you are not only modeling what it means to be a Jesus follower, that you're actually spending time equipping them? How can you do that? Well, Paul did it by taking them along. Maybe there's a conversation you need to have. How are they doing and, and having a quiet time? How are they going and reading the Bible? How are they going and sharing their faith? How are they going and living with a godly character? How are they going? You're interested. You're passionate about it because you've all of a sudden realized that, man, this is, this is my calling. This is what I am to do. And how are you going encouraging? Imagine if today that person got a, a text or an email or a something, a piece of paper with some pen marks on it, yeah, old school, and it encouraged them. Imagine what that would do. Oh, you know what that feels like. Imagine what it would do for them. You know, you've got more to offer than you give yourself credit for, and here's where I finish. If you're anything like me, you hear something like this and your mind immediately goes to, but I don't have anything to offer. I, you know, I, I see all the gaps in me. I see all the reasons why that person, you know, they're not going to be encouraged by me. That I can't equip them. I can't, I can't, I can't. And you have this long list of things that are in there. I want to tell you, you've got far more to offer than what you give yourself credit for. 
And I know that to be true. Because you're already giving so much. Maybe you just aren't aware of it. So here's the question. What would it take for you to move from where you are now to being far more intentional about making disciples? What would it take for you to move from where you are right now to be far more focused on what you are actually doing? And in so many cases, it's not that much of a shift. It's more of a mindset. It's more of a realizing this is what's going on right now. Let me do this and do this to the best of my ability. So there's the challenge for today, right? Paul, when he got to the end of his life, the people he had invested his life in were the ones who brought him joy. And they were the ones when the chips were down, when things were really dark, he said, I want to see those people. You have those people in your life, I have those people in my life. They're the people that we're investing in, that we're helping become total followers of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me? I'm going to, um, I'm going to pray in a minute, but before I do, it would be unusual for me to have a small rant around prayer and laying on of hands and commissioning and then not to give opportunity for that to happen. So here's that moment. And I'm just going to simply ask you if, if out of what you've heard today say, yeah, actually I need to be commissioned in this. I'm walking into my week or I'm walking into a situation where I now see I, I've got things to give, to offer. There are people in my life that I want to make a difference in. And maybe I don't feel so flash or so equipped about it. Well, let's pray for you. Let's lay hands on you. Let's get around you. Let's ask that God would give you the gifting that you need. And so before I pray to close, if that's you, if you're sensing that, would you just simply walk out the front right now and say, yep, this is me. I want to receive that. I want to know that commissioning in my life. That's you. Just, just move and uh, just come and stand down the front and we'll pray. If you're in the prayer team, you just want to come and just lay hands on these folk. Awesome. Alistair, maybe you just come and pray there. Fantastic. Right. Just ask to invite everyone else, everyone else just to lift up your hands and just stretch out to these folk. Now, Father, in this moment, we want to come before you and say, Lord, thank you, you're building a church. Thank you, Father, that you, are, you commission us. You give us the gifting we need. You, Father, you fan into flame all that we require to make a difference in our world. And Father, I pray, I pray for every one of us, but I pray particularly for those this morning who have stepped out and say, God, I need this. Lord, would you fan into flame the gifts that you've given them? Father, where a new gift is needed, Lord, would you impart that right now? Father, where there is, where there is a gift of wisdom needed, Lord, would you give it? 
I pray for confidence and I pray for, for restedness. I pray, Father, for, for an identity which is one found in Christ and Christ alone. Father, I pray that you would, you would give, give a boldness to share the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. And Father, for every one of us, I pray, Lord, that we would welcome the realization that we are modeling, that we are showing those in our life what it means to live for Jesus. And Father, where that challenges us, Lord, we welcome that and we say, Holy Spirit, fill us and change us. Father, I pray you would give us the courage to equip others. Lord, when we see things that are not as they should be, when we, when we have a check in our heart, that Lord, we'd, we'd in love want to lift people up to follow you more. And Father, I pray that you would give us all the gift of encouragement. Father, I pray that that would be fanned into flame for every one of us. And for those of us for whom it's a little unnatural, might it be supernatural. That, Father, we would look for ways to encourage one another. So, Father, we thank you for all you're going to do this week. We thank you, Lord, for leading us and guiding us. We bless you for this time we've spent together. As we go, Lord, we go in your name and we go for your glory. Jesus, we commit ourselves to you. We agreed and said, Amen. God bless you all.